0: Hey hey hey, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host Chris Desmond. This is a show where we explore the science, the stories and the strategies of getting out of our comfort zones so we can find where the magic happens for us. Today, we've got Digby Scott back on the show. You guys might remember Digby from episode 68. Uh, We talked through a whole lot of awesome stuff, but also talked through his backstory. So make sure you go back and have a listen to that one as well, because it is well worth your while. Now, Digby is a leadership development thinker and practitioner. Um, he specializes in helping people find their edge, and he's currently helping people to do new better. So a couple of the things that we talk through today, uh, Digby's recently broken his arm, so we have a bit of a chat about how that's affected him and how it's affected his outlook and his practices we, talking, we talk about doing new better. We talk about exploring curiosity, uh, the difference between diverse curiosity and epistemic curiosity, and why it's good to have both. We talk about daily anchors and why they are important, what they are as well. We talk about practice, uh, progress, not perfection. And yeah, that, that little bit there was progress, not perfection, obviously stumbling over my words. But one of the reasons that I wanted to have Digby back on, um, this is a little bit of a special episode. This is episode number 100 of the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast, which I'm pretty stoked about actually. Uh, when I first started out, I didn't think, uh, I couldn't couldn't even fathom uh, getting to 100 episodes. So it's been it's been pretty awesome and it's been cool to just sort of have a little bit of a look back and reflect on things. And I just want to say, give people some thank yous. So thank you everyone for for your support in, in any form. Uh, thanks to those people that have helped me with the production, uh, whether it's my brother Jeremy um, with the awesome theme music. Uh, whether it's uh, Rich or some others helping me with some IT stuff, um, whether it is some guest suggestions uh, from a lot of you, uh, which is, is fantastic. It's always awesome expanding uh, the people that I find for the podcast. I think if I just looked for, um, for for people, then the social media algorithms would only point me in a certain direction, so it's great to get a whole lot of different suggestions uh, thanks for all the ideas. Thanks for people that have been guests on the podcast. It's been, been wicked to connect with so many amazing people. Um, Thank you guys all for sharing the episodes out. Thanks for subscribing to the podcast so that you get it every, uh, every week and now twice weekly. Thank you for leaving feedback. Um, it's very much appreciated, whether it's positive feedback or whether it's a you should think about doing doing this a bit differently. It's it's very cool. Um, thank you, everyone that has gone out and got uncomfortable as a result of this podcast. Uh, that's kind of the the main drive behind it is just helping people step out of of their comfort zone so that you can find your magic. So thank you, everyone that has gone and taken action after listening to to one of these episodes. That's that's real cool. Um, and most of all, just thank you for listening, and thank you for for sharing your time with me and the guys that I bring on to the show. I I very much appreciate it. Um, I mean, we've had tens of thousands of downloads of the of the podcast. That's a lot of a lot of time I've spent in people's ears. Um, so it just yeah, the mind the mind boggles. So thank you all so much. Um after those thank yous I do have a favor to ask you guys though because this is episode 100 um I'd love it if we could make this the the biggest episode so far in the in the history of the show that would be a real cool present for me um and yeah something I'd be I'd be very excited about so what I'm going to ask you to do is I, I'd love you to share this episode out with someone whether that's... Uh, Grabbing someone's phone, hitting download on their podcast app, saying, hey, you've got to listen to this. Uh, Whether that is emailing out to a bunch of friends, whether that's telling your mum about it um, or uh, sharing it out on on your social media, sharing it on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever you hang out. Um, or leaving a comment tagging a couple of your mates in the in the comments and saying hey have a listen to this uh, i'd very I'd, yeah I'd, I'd love if we could make episode 100 the biggest episode that we've had so far it'd be it'd be super cool um but again thank you guys so much there's probably enough of me rambling uh i hope you guys enjoy getting uncomfortable with digby and i today welcome back to the uncomfortable is okay podcast mate how are you today i am better every day chris very good good to see you very good yeah it's great to be great to be back here again um i think i mean you were back in episode 68 i think it was of the of the podcast so mm-hmm. about 30 30 episodes ago now uh, and we kind of dove into your backstory a little bit then but could you maybe give us like a just a brief synopsis of, of who you are, where you're, where you're from, what you do, just so that uh, yeah, sure. people kind of get a little bit of an idea. Yep, yep, yep. You don't want to before go back they to... Go, before they go back and listen to the, yeah. the last episode, <laughs> that's, that's, right. uh,
1: that's great as well. But yeah, the is good. It's all there, folks. Uh, so the executive summary. Uh, yep. So I am Australian living in New Zealand. Uh, although I've now got my citizenship. Oh, I'm, a, congratulations. I'm a dual citizen. I can't be an Australian politician anymore, which is a oh, shame. No. <laughs> yeah, that career path has been shut off. Um, so there's an interesting little distinction. I'm someone who loves living on the edge uh, of things metaphorically and physically. So I live right on the beach just north of Wellington. The, our, our front yard is the beach. Uh, and if I look out the other window, I see farmland and sheep. So it's kind of a cool place to be right in the middle of that on the edge. Um, but the work I do is all about he- helping people find their edge, and I do a lot of work in leadership development uh, in New Zealand and further afield. Um, I've been kicking around little taglines around that. And the one I'm sort of sitting with at the moment is this idea of, I'm helping people do new better. So whatever they're facing new, how do they navigate new things? How do they learn new things? Uh, particularly in leadership roles where uh, there's change is an imperative. How do you help yourself and others do new better? So I love my work. Um, life is pretty good. It's been challenging recently, as I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, it's uh yeah no life is rich and full and that's how I like it.
0: Yeah, very good. And yes, yeah, I mean, should we just jump into the challenge straight sure. away? Because you've <laughs> uh, things are things have changed
1: a little bit for you physically since we uh, we caught up last.
0: Do you wanna do you wanna talk us through what yeah. what happened?
1: Okay, so the story is um, probably about two months ago. Uh, I had. Been doing heaps of mountain biking. I love my mountain biking, Uh, and I'd been out with my two sons who are 16 and 11, and we'd had a good ride. and We're heading back down um, the hill towards the car, so we're probably another couple of kilometres away from the car. and uh, I was riding with my youngest son. My oldest had taken off down the track a bit further, and we came to a, a part in the track where it diverged into two. And it was on the side of a really quite a steep hill. And we're kind of traversing down the side of this steep hill. And my son stayed on the main track. And I thought, I'll go up the other bit, which kind of swoops up the side of the bank of the, of the hill. And it goes up quite steep and does this big swoop thing. And then it swoops back down and joins the other track. And I usually ride that really fast. And it's, it's great. You swoop up, swoop down, keep going. It's very flowy. And this time, because I was with my youngest son, we were going pretty slow. And so I kind of went up this swoopy bit. And I, I looked ahead and I thought, huh, where we join again, we'll probably crash. So I better stop and let him go first. But where I stopped, there was nowhere to stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped at the peak of the swoopy bit and then I pretty much just fell sideways with my bike two meters straight down onto the other track. And uh, yeah, the... Your response, looking at your face, was just the rolling eyes and the squoomy body. It's sort of that's the general response I get. And the thing was, it was uh, it was interesting because about a hundred metres further back, we'd pass some walkers on the same track, and I thought to myself. God, I must have looked like a bit of a goose doing that because I I fell from a standing stop. You know, I wasn't moving. I just kind of stopped and fell over and fell down this bank. I'm really embarrassed. So my youngest son's going, Dad, are you okay? That looked like it really hurt. I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. Let's go. So I can't jump back on the bike. And within two or three hundred meters, I was going, oh, it's pretty hard to hold onto the handlebars here. Um, and we caught up to my other son, and Dad, he said, Dad, you look really gray. Are you okay? And I thought, uh, actually, probably not. And then I tried to rotate my arm um, just to, to test it, and it wouldn't move. And I thought, uh oh, okay. So we said, oh, guys, we've got to get back to the car. So they took off down to the car because I'm thinking, kids, they just went. And then meanwhile, I'm sort of puddling down the track with one arm on the handlebar and the, on the, and the brakes and made it back. And my son drove us home and we then my wife took us to the hospital. And, yes, it was broken, broke my elbow. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and a week later I had an operation. and So that was seven, seven weeks ago. Maybe six, seven, eight weeks ago, something like that. So that's the story. Yeah, that's a
0: good. That's a good story. What was your wife's response to to that?
1: Because she's a a doctor, actually. As (laughs) well, she is a doctor. Uh, My wife is very pragmatic, and I called her on the way home, and I said, "Yeah, I think I've done something to my arm." She goes, "Oh, scale of one to ten, how bad's the pain?" That's a good doctor question, right? Yeah, (laughs) and I said not wanting to be too much of a wuss. I said, oh, uh, maybe about a six, seven, maybe. He goes, oh, well, why don't you come home and we'll have a look at it. And then I walked in the door pretty quickly. (laughs) Within about (laughs) a minute, she said, "Uh, I think we need to turn around and go and get an X-ray. You're not looking too flash. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it was the right call. But, yeah, she's been brilliant as a support for me uh, the last couple of months, I tell you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: My wife's a my wife's a doctor as well, and she uh, yeah. When I whenever I walk in the door with with injuries, there's a, there's always a bit of an eye roll of what have you, what have you done this time? Yeah, um, I've had a I've had a few in my time, and uh, I think like most of them kind of rugby related. Yeah, uh, and I've, I've retired from rugby now. <laughs> I, I oh, I, my last game, I copped the boot in the face and just split my lip right open, and uh, I, I called her on the way home, and I said. Uh, might need to go into um, into the uh, just after hours medical centre to get it get it uh, stitched up. And unfortunately, she was in between jobs at the time, so she'd finished one job, handed in, all case right, and hadn't started her next job, so she. Like, couldn't just pop down to her (laughs) clinic and have her stitch me up.
1: Oh, I don't know if you want to go there anyway, do you? mm. Oh, she's she's pretty good. Pretty good. And she's the one that would
0: have to look at me as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might as well do it right. Probably do a good job, You
1: talked about retiring from rugby. It's quite interesting, um, the responses I've got, particularly early on from friends when I shared on social or called up friends or whatever about what I've been doing. Uh, how many people said, "Well, yeah, leave it to the young kids now. Uh, you know, all your adventure sports. Maybe it's time to dial those right down. You know, uh, and you know, oh, don't don't get on the bike. It's just play in the water because it's softer. You know, dirt is hard. You know, go go somewhere where it's a bit easier for you, old man. Sort of message, right? <laughs> and it really." It really annoyed me. Mm. So if you're listening, friends, and and you hear this, just (laughs) no offence, but that wasn't the right thing to say. I know it was done with the greatest intent, which it often is. But there's this something about, don't you know that this is what I love to do? And, uh, you know, this is something that I fully intend to keep doing. And in fact, it's the thing that's motivated me to keep getting better and, and doing all my physios since the operation. And it's, uh, yeah, it's ironic. I, I'd actually had a, a mountain biking coaching session booked for the following week, uh, one on one session. Cause I thought, well, I am getting older and I want to keep going hard, but I want to do it safely. So I might as well get some skills improvement. Mm. And so having this coaching session was going to help with that. And then I went and did this dumb thing, which wasn't even that daredevil. It was just a silly fall and did my arm. Yeah. But yeah, this whole thing about, I think, you know, we try, maybe sometimes we try to limit people to keep them safe by giving them advice that really doesn't land that well. I just was like, oh yeah, that really rankled me, you know? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, there's like a,
0: this is probably going to sound overly dramatic, but I think like there's a real sort of culture of fear around stuff like that, but um, often I'll I'll see, like in my job as a physio, is that people are afraid of going back to to do things, which is understandable after you've had any kind of injury, um, that kind of the next time you get out there and, and do things like that, you are a little bit worried about it, but all of the voices in their ears are saying, no, you can't go and do this, you shouldn't go and do things, this you're, uh, you're putting yourself at a right. horrible risk which is for the most part probably bullshit
1: yeah it's the perceived risk mm-hmm. because they don't necessarily do it themselves or they've seen someone yeah. else yeah. have a really bad accident or whatever mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. there's this sort of uh, what's the word um, where you sort of uh, I can't remember that word but that word where you're going well I'm just projection you know it's yeah, projecting yeah. their fear onto, onto someone else and yeah I think you kinda of gotta be vigilant against it, I think. Mm. Um I I realised how powerful external forces are, like people's opinions are on you. So for example, the when the doctor said to me um a couple of weeks ago, Oh, you don't need the sling anymore, there was a real sense of elation and shift, just mentally, physically, emotionally for me, by someone some external authority like a doctor saying here's a different set of rules now. You don't need to live by the rules of the sling. And I kind of didn't realise I'd been waiting for that person to tell me it was okay not to have Mm. the sling. And, yeah, while it's important to have those sort of – those rules in place while I was, you know, in that deep pain and that, you know, there was really fragile bone, Mm. as it got more – stronger uh, then it was like actually I don't need it and the thing was he said you probably haven't needed it for the last couple of weeks but I've been waiting for someone else to tell me what was okay rather than pushing my boundaries and I think I was probably the right thing to do but there's some tipping point where he sort of handed the power to me a bit more to go now you determine how far you want to push your arm which was really kind of that was great to be given permission right? yeah. yeah that's a
0: really interesting concept actually yeah. i mean you kind of given a different set of rules to to operate from and and kind of uh encouraged to take on on more power and more capacity yeah. yourself which is hard if you've got well-meaning people in your ears saying yeah don't do this don't yeah, do yeah. don't do that and I think I mean as a society, we probably need to have more voices saying you can yeah. go and do that. Because I mean, from a purely physical point of view, your body has an incredible capacity to heal and to adapt. So, getting back into adventure sports and just kind of living living life yeah at the way you want to do it uh, on the on the edge is something that you can do. It's something that I think a lot of people don't have an appreciation of the time and effort that it takes to be able to do that in some instances. Mm. But physically, you can do it. But also, the what I'm learning as well is kind of emotionally and mentally, you can get out there and
1: do that absolutely as well. Yeah, and it doesn't actually, and I think, again, that distinction between perceived risk and actual risk is one of the things we need to Get over because Mm. you you look at a lot of these things, you think it's really dangerous, and it's actually not. You know, I think something like surfing, you know, it's not Mm. that dangerous. It's more dangerous, you know, crossing the road. It's yeah, yeah, it's it's might be hard work, and yeah, physically you might need to be fit and stuff like that. But the danger element of something really bad happening is is really low. Sort of, I'm drawn to Tim Ferriss's fear setting. Uh, Yeah, the idea of. Not so much goal setting and trying to achieve a goal, but while that can be motivating, the idea of um, what holds us back from moving into something is that we haven't labeled and named and faced the worst thing that could possibly happen and actually tested our assumptions around it. And now that TED talk he gives on fear setting, I think, is so powerful. And so, you know, I'd say go and watch that, right? Go and go and and then go and say, well, what if I was to blah, 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 and then. Actually, say well, what's the worst thing could happen, and how could I prevent that? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And I, like, I've actually I've just finished a really interesting book. It's um, William Truebridge, who is the world champion free diver. His right. his memoir Oxygen. So, like, when he started free diving, the world record I think was like sixty or seventy meters deep. Yeah, he's gone down. He went a couple of years ago down to one hundred and two meters. Just blew diving. it away! Um, wow, um, like it was—it was a progressive build-up for him. Um, but I think, like, there's a there's obviously a, a, a significant like. If things go wrong on a free dive, they can they can yeah. go reasonably reasonably wrong. But for the most part, it's a it's a reasonably safe sport if people are, are trained in it. So there, yep. the the risk there, like the, the perceived risk of someone looking out. And looking at it is that, hey, this is a massively scary sport. Uh, there's, there's a lot of danger involved. And, yes, there is risk and there is danger, but the actual risk is, is managed quite well.
1: Yeah, agree. And I think it's interesting, even and if you come back to something a little more mundane like mountain biking. Mm. So I've said to people, yeah, sometimes you have to pay the price of all the fun you're getting from mountain biking. And to me, the price was I broke my elbow. Right. And was that so bad? Yeah. I had a bike for two months and I haven't been a windsurf or surf and I've missed out on some great sessions. Mm. And I've been given... And the
0: weather's been great for it. It's so. been <laughs>
1: amazing. And all my friends are going, oh, that was an amazing session, Digby. You should have been out there. You know, it's actually been really motivating. But the the thing is I've learned so much from adversity as well. And so in some ways there's a gift that's been given to me by breaking my arm. So while there's a price... There's also a massive upside. Mm.
0: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's quite a nice, nice wee segue that you've just uh, created there for <laughs> us, Digby. Because <there>. um, <laughs> the the thing that sort of prompted me to, to get back in touch with you are some videos that I saw on LinkedIn about you creating some daily anchors for yourself kind of going through yep. this process because obviously any injury that kind of stops you or anything that stops you doing what you want to be doing kind of really often it creates a bit of an internal conflict within yourself about I can't do the things that I used to be able to do how does this kind of challenge my my sense of yeah. identity so what um I mean what can you, can you like describe the, yep. your daily anchors yep. and maybe have a talk a little bit about what they what they were and why they yep. were important sure to thing.
1: you yeah yeah so yeah I um I decided pretty quickly actually like with even before I had the operation, which was a week after the accident. So within that, I think it was probably two or three days of having the accident, I thought, okay, I don't want to let this get on top of me. I want to be on top of it. And so I thought, how do I keep sane, keep um, positive, keep productive in my state? And so I thought, okay, well, I need some daily habits, that stuff I'm able to do easily – uh, there the won't be a big ask there won't take a big toll on me but it'll just keep me grounded and keep me okay and I thought you know um, there's some good lots of um, thinking around resilience and, and these four domains of resilience so there's the physical, the mental emotional and spiritual ways in which you can get resilience so I thought well I want to have daily anchors that touch all four of those um, I end up coming with six habits and I try to remember them, uh, so they need to be easy to do, not take too long, and um, you know, touch one of those four boxes. So I decided there was going to be a, a daily walk, thirty minutes. Uh, there was going to be meditation uh, for a minimum of ten minutes a day. Uh, read for thirty minutes a day. Uh, only eat at meal times. <laughs> uh, there was call a friend or some sort of uplifting colleague every day. And I'm trying to remember the fifth one. I was be in bed, so the sixth one, that was to be in bed by no later than 10.30 each night. And so I created this little checklist uh, that was like each day with a column and what the anchor was and did I do it. And that was was a really useful way to see my visual progress. Uh, And pretty much started it straight away. And then every week I just did a little video about what I was learning and I've put them all on my website as well as LinkedIn. And... Um, done about six videos now, I think. And uh, what I quite quickly noticed that some made more difference than others, and the three that made the most difference was the physical exercise, the walking, the meditation. So that's kind of, to me. That's mental, emotional, and spiritual all there. Mm. So it's just like a sense of cleansing the mind. Uh, and then the uh, the calling the friend each day. That was that was a that's been If anything, that's probably been the most powerful one, getting into conversation with someone that lifts my energy. And I think I lift theirs too. And so this is mutually beneficial thing going on. And it doesn't have to be a long conversation. And in fact, sometimes it hasn't been a conversation. It's been a message left. But even leaving a a relatively long message about how I'm doing and I'm thinking of them, and that's actually been good for me too, just to know that I've let them know I'm thinking of them and here's where I'm at. Yeah. Mm. so it's been a it's been a good um good way to keep me on top of the the you know the challenge of potentially being despairing about all this stuff yeah, yeah. yeah. have you had any days where you we
0: haven't done them oh yeah totally and what yeah. were those what are those days like for you compared to the other one mm. other days That's that you a have good question.
1: To... good question uh i think i probably i think in the back of my mind i know i haven't looked after myself as well as I could have those days and so it's almost like I've given and I've served others which is what I do in my work uh, and as a father and husband etc but I haven't looked after me and so it's almost like a little bit of I've let myself down. Uh, How does that manifest I reckon it manifests actually as in I probably don't sleep as well, and I think that's the there's something about doing the exercise, connecting with someone meditating, which is or I reckon links into the a higher quality of sleep, but if I'm not paying attention to myself, I reckon there's something that's going on, I don't know how to describe it, but it's a um sense of yeah, a bit more restless yeah mm. so that's it's interesting it's a good question, I think I need to ponder that a bit more, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I have some kind of. Daily habits that I've been that I've been working on, All right? Uh, probably for the last couple of months, which are quite similar to you, is that I need to I need to move. Yep, every day. Yep. Like I know I know I have a, if I have a day where I haven't done yep. like in a f- significant period of movement, yep. whether that's kind of going for a run or lifting some lifting some weights or doing some yoga or. Um, walking the dog doesn't count. That's, that's just <laughs> Why a,
1: not? Why not? What's the difference?
0: I think that um, I don't think it's intense enough for me. Right. If I go for a run with the dog, yeah. then I'll count. So that. you want to sweat each day? Yeah, much, yeah. I right? need to. I need yeah. to get my heart rate up. and yep. I need to yep. get yep. kind of everything moving. Yep. Going for a going for a stroll. Like it's it's good, yeah. and it's it's more of kind of a mental thing for yeah, me yeah. and just kind of slows everything down but it's not a it's not a physical thing mm-hmm. uh that I well it's not something that I count as a physical thing yeah, yeah so yeah I need to I need to move um I need to work on a relationship as mm-hmm. well so mm-hmm. kind of having a conversation spending some time sending like a video message to yep to one of my mates Beautiful. or um or yeah do doing something nice for and with my wife um what else? Spending a bit of time kind of just thinking about what I'm grateful for mm-hmm. as well. How many is that? Just That's three. Three. Uh oh yeah, spending a little bit of time meditating. Yeah, now cool. I only do I do five minutes just because yeah, right. I'm trying to get into it and I wanna be I want yeah. it to become a habit. And five minutes I was like, yeah, I can manage five minutes. It's at the some minimum
1: point. viable effort, right? Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah, what yeah. and it's it's this what what's gonna make this easy? Yeah, you know, mm. 5 minutes mm. is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And it's it's going it's going well. I'm, I might be almost able to push it up a little. Go to Maybe six. go to 6. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the app timer that I use, it doesn't go in like 30 second increments, so I ah. I'd have to go all the way to six <laughs> okay. uh. um, and all, the other one is real easy to well, real simple to do is having a cold shower. So just the last minute of my shower, cranking it onto cold. And
1: what does that do for you? A
0: couple of things. I mean, there's a there's a lot of research out there that's kind of uh, around kind of cold therapy and its beneficial effect on the on the body in terms of kind of uh, stimulating the health of your, your mitochondria and kind of the, hmm. a whole lot of other kind of hormetic stress. It's a hormetic stress that you put on your body that you kind of, uh, your body reacts to in a, in a beneficial way but also it sharpens the focus as well like it doesn't you're not thinking about other things when you're, you're fully under present a, under a cold shower you're just breathing <laughs> into it and I'm try uh, that, yeah, yeah it's, it's good it's really it, good like it's sometimes it's hard to do on the morning but um in the evening if i'm having a shower in the evening it's usually a bit easier especially in warm wellington summer but in the morning, before I do it, uh, I'll just tell myself I love the cold. I love the cold, <laughs> and then I switch it switch it on, and that usually just kind of triggers it. Um, but yeah, I find that if I if I haven't done at least most of those things during the day, then yeah, I don't I don't feel as good mm. at the end mm. of the day, and mm-hmm. whether that's purely because. Like I haven't, I haven't done them, so I haven't got the beneficial effect from them. I think, like from the from the meditating, the the gratitude, the physical stuff, uh, and the relationship stuff. There's definitely uh there's definitely that physical effect for me, but also it's I've set myself these tasks
1: and I haven't achieved yep. them, and I feel bad
0: about not. Yeah, achieving that's interesting. There's yeah. probably a little bit of that because so. I
1: I I'm less worried about whether I've achieved it or not from a ticking the box point of yeah, view. Yeah. It's kind of more. Am I feeling good about
0: mm, where mm. I'm at
1: and how I'm being right now? And, yeah, that's 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 what it's been about for me. It's interesting, that shower one. I reckon I'll try that. be, be interesting. Yeah, yeah have, I, a, so. have a play with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: you, you'll find the, I think, like, you'll find some immediate effect with it. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, like for, for the, at least for kind of the next five minutes. I don't know if it, how well it'll set you up for the rest of the day, but it, uh Kind of, it okay. sharpens to focus well in the morning. Well,
1: anyway. the third podcast we do, we'll we'll report back, right? <laughs> well, 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 yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
0: You mentioned before uh, about the minimum viable effort, right? I'm talking yeah. about my talking, talking about my meditation routine. Yeah, I, I think that's a like that's a pretty interesting topic to explore when you when you're doing things because I think, I mean, having this injury has kind of maybe reshape the way that you think about a few things that you do. Yeah, definitely. Like what, do you, what
1: do you mean by minimum viable effort? Well, well, in the software industry, you know, uh, it's about minimum viable product, right? Don't have the perfect product. Just get the next iteration out there. So what's the minimum viable product that we want to get that out there into the world, right? And I really like that because it's not about perfection. It's about progress. And that's a, a saying I use a lot these days. It's progress, not perfection, right? keep making progress, um, keep iterating. And so minimum viable effort is sort of – I've borrowed that and just changed the last word. And the reason that's sort of sitting with me is because when my I broke my arm, it was my dominant hand, my dominant arm, left hand. I'm left-handed. So there's a lot of stuff that I couldn't do or if I was doing it, it was really, really slow, like trying to type one-handed with – um, well, I'm not even a touch typist anyway, but to so do it with my other hand, yeah, do 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 do. Do. <laughs> yeah, and, and then realising, ah, look, I'm just not going to get through the amount, the volume of work or the volume of anything that I did pre-accident. So there was this kind of a forced uh, decision making that had to happen around, well, what's the stuff that's most important that has to happen each hour, each day? you know, each week, uh, and then only do that. So minimum viable effort is like, what's the most important stuff to get done? And then it was into what's the easiest way to do this? What's the minimum viable effort to do that? And it's really interesting as I've asked that question, I've discovered lots of efficiencies in things. So, for example, um, you know, like most of us, we do emails, right? Mm. And emails can be the bane of our life if if we let it. And um, a mentor of mine, actually, she suggested, uh, "Why don't you just try voice recording and sending people voice memos as opposed to emails?" So she told me about this app called Extra Voice Recorder, which is, you know, it's kind of like the ones you have on your iPhone or whatever. But it was a, it's a one that can go on any platform. And so I would just now, what I do now, and I will continue to do well into the future, is I'll just talk, and then I'll just attach that little voice recording to an email and off it goes. It's a bit like your video message to a friend. Mm. And the amount of time that it saves to just get that out the door, um, you know, out into the ether, but also the richness and the nuance that comes with a voice moment that mm. you can't portray in an email. No tone
0: in email. Oh,
1: it's amazing. And like, I'm working with a uh, someone to help me on my new website at the moment. So we're doing lots of toing and froing of ideas and stuff. And I've been uh, saying to her, look, here's what I'm thinking about the sort of style and everything, but we've just set up a Pinterest board with a whole lot of ideas and then I'm sending her voice memos and saying, look, I'm looking at the Pinterest board, I'm looking at this photo, this is why I like this one, it's got this for me and that's this is lacking in that one. Stuff you would take you probably half an hour to write in an email, I can mm. say, in three minutes. Mm. So that's a example of what's the minimum effort and then forced to innovate in a way, you know? And but the other thing I've learned is that um, there's this stuff that doesn't matter, right? And and my inbox is actually way full now. It's like overflowing yeah. with unread emails. But on the other hand, life is still chugging really well. Mm. Um, my practice is humming along. Everything, nothing's falling through the cracks from that perspective, but I think I worry less about the stuff that when I look at it and I go, that doesn't matter anymore. I've kind of got that real mental clarity that I probably didn't have before because kind of everything mattered. And it's like, actually, mm. no, everything doesn't matter. Yeah, and some stuff matters more than others. It's the old 80-20 thing, right? Yeah, so yeah. The 20% yeah. of things that give you 80% of the results. Yes. So yeah. I, I think that'll be something that will stay permanently for me. Yeah. So, th- yeah, that's one of the gifts that comes with uh, not be able to ride a mountain bike and charge <laughs> yeah cool, yeah, cool. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah thank you for taking the time to respond to my email then <laughs> <laughs> not, not letting it be oh, one of the ones that that's alright I think it was a
1: really brief response <laughs> yep let's do it yeah I think, I think it was yeah, I didn't, <laughs> hopefully I didn't,
0: you didn't agonise over that for half an hour um, <laughs> no I mean you've, you've kind of shifted the way that you approach things in terms of the effort because you've broken your elbow if someone didn't want to go out and break their elbow to have this sort of revelation mm. i mean what are like what are some of the kind of the processes that you've that you've done to shift your shift your mindset and other stuff that maybe you work through to get to that point
1: wow yeah good question so i think a really simple one is Don't even try to multitask. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one. So, I think the idea of multitasking could be watching a video while trying to type an email at the same time. Or, you know, even more simply, try to do your teeth while um, putting on your clothes. You know, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that even works anyway, but there's something about, you know, in a busy world, we try to do lots in a short amount Mm -hmm. of time, right? And I haven't been able to do that. So, just deciding to do one thing and do it really well and not do anything else until that one thing is done has been amazing. And if you want to delve into that idea, there's a book called Deep Work by a guy called Cal Newport. Mm. And he's, his premise is that if you want to create anything of value in the world, any any uh, anything that will last, uh, then you need to do it through deep work. And deep work is the work where there's there's no distractions, there's there's no interruptions. You're focused on that one thing for as long as it takes to do it. And it might be that that needs to happen in various chunks, but when you're there, you're fully present, like in the cold water shower, you're fully Mm -hmm. present, right? And I've been practising that. And so if I'm focused on writing an email, that's all I'm doing. If I'm focused on (laughs) talking an email, that's all I'm doing. And the sense of satisfaction of having done it well, uh, overrides any lost time that by doing something half baked. So to me, that's a really important one. And I think that plays out into all forms of life. And I think the 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 challenge and the uncomfortable okay bit with it is okay bit is being okay to say no to stuff. So again, it's probably a segue into another process or that I'm learning is, uh, that saying no is hard, and I think it's hard for most of us. Mm. That uh, and being uncomfortable is part of the territory of saying no. So I'll give you an example. Um, this this injury has forced me to slow down, and I've by slowing down, I've been noticing my emotional reaction to stuff more acutely. Uh, I got an email two or three days ago from a client that I've been doing work with for. I don't know, probably five years. And it's a leadership program I've been running for them. Uh, and they're big, really big organization. And they were, I think I've run it for four or five years, this leadership program. And they said, let's book in dates for the next cohort, the next group of people in September this year. And I noticed my response to that email, my physical and emotional response. It was just this <sighs> response and, I reckon I had the same response last year, but I just didn't notice it. So I said, yes, because it's money and they're good people and I like Mm work with them and all that. But this time it was kind of like, actually, you know, I think I'm ready to let it go. So rather than what I would have done in the past as well, maybe listen to it. But then I would have my rational brain would have kicked in and gone. No, no, no. It's the right thing to do to keep going. And so I would have what I did do last year was say, yeah, okay, sure. Carry on. Money in the bank, fine. You're good people. We'll do good work. Great, but this time it's actually more honouring myself was and them uh, and being true to to both parties was really more important. And so I called her straight away and I said, "Look, um, got your email. Thanks. I think we need to talk about succession planning. My heart's not in this anymore. Um, you know, I'd love to. I love working with you, but I need to move on, and or we find another way of me working with you." And her response was, as you could predict, disappointed, quite disappointed actually, but really grateful that I'd let her know. Mm. And while it was an uncomfortable thing to do, actually making the phone call and dialing the number and then starting that call, once I was in it, it was this feeling of empowerment. Actually, this is the right thing for everyone. Let's do it. Even though it's a little uncomfortable, still the good thing to do. So to me, there's something about – being more okay with saying no, because actually there's a lot of stuff that um, doesn't gets in the way of me and probably most of us um, doing the best stuff we can be doing. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah, and I think I mean there's so many there's so many options and so many opportunities oh. and things to do, even if it's just different shows on Netflix. Um, <laughs> but you you kind of you need to figure out which ones you say no to and which ones you say yes to. And this is just kind of turning into a whole sort of Tim Ferriss (laughs) adulation sort of uh, podcast. Um, But one of the the points or one of the things that I listened to from him recently was an episode about saying no and about how some of his guests do it. Um, And some of them are either... If it's not a hell yes, yeah. it's a no. That's Derek Severs, right? Yeah, he's yeah. a legend. Well, there's also another one uh, that I really like is that, hey, you need to rate how excited you are yeah. about this from a one to 10 scale, but you can't use a seven. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Because seven's just kind of a, Meh. it's a bit of a nondescript one. Yeah. You're like, oh, I could go either way, yeah. or I'm just being slightly
1: polite. That was me last year with this client. Mm, it was yeah. like, I was a seven.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And this year it was like I was down around four. Okay. I wasn't even pretending to be a seven. You know, yeah. I think yeah. that's – in the past, I think we can tell ourselves stories. Well, I did that I was at a seven, but if mm. I really listened, it was probably more like a four.
0: Yeah. yeah. And then I
1: was like, what can I do to keep it up there at a seven, you know? Mm, yeah. Mm. It's a really good advice, isn't it? Like, listen to your excitement level, your emotional energy around it, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, I mean, even even a six is – I guess like it's a bit meh. It's kind of just a passing, passing grade. Just, really, it's just. a B plus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if it's a B plus. Is it? Seven, <laughs> is it? Yeah, it's seven, a B. Seven's a B plus. <laughs> It's a um, B. Yeah. But yeah, the eight, yeah. Uh, Aces, you're definitely
1: yeah. excited. Uh, definitely excited. Yeah. About things, so. yeah I, I would say though. Uh, so if you go back to Derek Sivers, so he's the guy who did the crazy dancing guy on the hill mm. TED talk, mm. right? The How to Start a Movement, it was called, yeah. and he actually lives in Wellington. Oh, I mean, he knew that, but he no, lives I didn't in Wellington. Know either, yeah, yeah, it? yeah, and he uh, he organised the first TEDx con- TEDx conference here in Wellington. Yeah, and he's I think he flips between other countries, but yeah, he's yeah. got a base here in Wellington. And uh, he says, if you listen to a longer interview with him, um, that earlier in your life you don't want to be too much. No, unless it's hell yeah, because mm-hmm. you want to go and get a bunch of experiences under yeah. your belt to see what lights you up, right? Yeah, and if you if you cut things off too early in life, then you're kind of, you're missing out on the learning that comes yeah, with that, right? that's true. And there's a point, I reckon, uh, which probably most of us pass and don't realize we pass where we, we need to start to prune it and go, actually, no, this is what I'm locking on to. This is the best work I can do. It's in this area. This is what lights me up. This is how I can add the most value in the world. And therefore, I need to say no to other stuff because I won't get to do the deep work around this stuff. And it's, it's kind of like I've been doing a lot of I'm, – I'm kind of going a little bit diversive here, but there's a – I've been doing a lot of research and thinking and I'm, I'm offering workshops and programs around curiosity and creating cultures of curiosity, mm. which is all about learning, right? And it's mm, the mm. driving force behind innovation. And there's these two forms of curiosity and they, we need both of them. So, the first one is called diversive curiosity, which is the interest in the new and the different. Like, it's kind of like novel and what's next. And and it's the stuff, it's the curiosity we get fed by our Facebook feeds and our Mm -hmm. Pinterest feeds and all that sort of stuff, right? Uh, Instagram. It's like, oh, that's different. That's new. Oh, yeah. And that serves us really well because if we can have a really broad range of interests and we can look at all these different things, be interested in different things, then we can. Uh, we can kind of join dots between things that might be really disparate. You know, it's like, um, what's a good example of that? I, I saw a really cool picture of, um, you know, those timers, like the, the timers, it's like a circle and it sort of counts down, oh, yeah, like it yeah. kind of goes round and like goes from the top. It's like a clock, right? Like an egg timer. So yeah, like that sort of yeah. thing, but they're, they're digital, right? Yeah. Uh, and they'll often use them in PowerPoint presentations and stuff like that. You know, it's two minutes, we've got an exercise, and that, uh, right? You know. Then someone went, well, there's that, but why don't we put that on a traffic light? So then on a red traffic light. So people know how long it is until the traffic light's going to turn green. So they put yeah. it on the red traffic light, and the traffic light is a timer. So it's one of those things that goes around. And I thought that's an example of applied diversive curiosity because we've gone timer thing, traffic light put those together innovation right and that's and it serves us but if, o- if we only stay in diverse curiosity and it's all about the new and the different now let's try this let's try this let's do that then we never do the deep work that is the what they call the second form of curiosity which is epistemic curiosity Ooh, I like that. yeah big word epistemic. epistemic curiosity and that's going deep into something and being deeply fascinated with an area you know, a field of research. So For me, it's really adult development. It's how do people grow and mature and and get a, a more com- complexity of minds so they can handle more ambiguity as they, you know, as they go through life and so they can be more effective in change and learn more and see more perspectives. And I'm right into that stuff and I'll read anything on it and I'll talk about it all day. And that's my epistemic curiosity. It's like this deep mystery that I'm trying to solve, you know. And... So anything on that domain, I'm into, and that's I guess you could say that's my expertise, uh, and that's what I tend to get you know called in to help with 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 clients. But I think the two together, I think of like a T, right? So your diversive is like the horizontal part of a, a capital T, and then your your epistemic is the vertical part. And I think you need both because if you kind of got deep expertise only, then you can have blinkers on. You know, you know, you're missing out on stuff, and that's where the innovation can come. If you're, if you, if you've got the diversive as well. If you only got diversive without the epistemic, then you're just bouncing on the surface a lot of stuff, right? You never do that really good deep work. Don't know how we got here, but yeah. <laughs> it's, I, I, it's I like really interesting. Here, hey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
0: it's, it's fascinating. I mean, curiosity yeah. is—it's something that I mean is so important to. To life is to be curious about about different things, and uh, like I think, if we both hadn't followed huh. our curiosity, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation, and uh, the twelve odd people that listen to this podcast also uh, <laughs> out of their Hi, curiosity guys. wouldn't uh, <laughs> wouldn't get to share this this conversation. Um, and I, yeah, I, I, that's kind of one of the things that I want to encourage people to, to do through this as well and that's kind of why I talk to a, a wide range of people is yeah. is to get them curious about things and about yeah. kind of utilising their diverse of curiosity so that they can then go on to the epistemic curiosity afterwards right. and now I know how to talk about it and cool, I, I, cool. Like, I like that and,
1: and the other thing I reckon is um, it's if you have the ability to see things from multiple perspectives rather than just here's my worldview and this is the truth. You speak as your truth is the truth. That's really limiting, right? And that's what happens with fundamentalism Mm -hmm. and stuff. So if you can say, well, here's my view, but it's probably limited. So what about if I went and looked at something from a completely different view? And that might be, For example, I think it's great for younger people or anyone, to be honest, to go and live in other cultures, right? And not just go and be a tourist on a, you know, a tourist bus, but actually go and immerse yourself in a completely different culture, preferably one that you don't speak the language, so you have to actually see through fresh eyes, right? And that will be diversity of curiosity on steroids because you. Don't have anything to rely on. You have to go. Well, what? How does this work? And what? What are they saying there? And what is that food? You know. And I think that opens up your worldview. And then you can kind of go. Ah, so there's a different way of seeing things. And how might I take that back into my old world again? You know. I reckon that's that ability to see multiple perspectives gives you the opportunity to navigate gnarly, challenging, ambiguous stuff more effectively. Mm. You know. So, as I've done on heaps of travel and. Um, I I know personally how powerful it is to be able to um, to be able to go. oh, yeah. So the way we see things in New Zealand or Australia is is only one way of doing things, and it's not the best way by any means. It's a way. So so yeah. The I I've just joined the dots around how do we get here because mm. we were talking about hell yeah or no. Yeah, yeah. And we Take the opportunities. Yeah, yeah. And there's a point where you have to go. Dial down the diversity of curiosity a little bit and just Mm. focus on one thing and be courageous enough to go, maybe it's not just one thing, but, you know, a a path. Yeah. You know, and I reckon for younger people, don't lock on too soon. You know, I think get get in and get exploring and you don't need to have a career decided by the time you're 21. Mm. Or by the time you're six when people start asking you what you want to be when you you grow up. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. Happy? Content, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> fulfilled. They're, they're good answers.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's a really important thing as well. And I mean with the with the diverse of curiosity, you're going to f- come across a whole lot of a whole lot of different things that that are potentially sources that you could kind of utilise for your epistemic curiosity. And yeah. sometimes you're going to start to go down a pathway that you think, oh, this looks interesting. And then you get a certain way down it and you get to that point and you're like, actually, it's not as interesting as yep. I thought it was. Or it's time to let it go, yeah. serve me, move yeah. on. Well, yeah. some, something yeah. else with it yeah. as well. And I mean, I think that the, the, letting, the letting go of that is, is quite challenging in terms of, yeah, i have invested some yep. i've invested some time i've invested yep. some energy potentially i've invested some money yeah into into this i mean do you do you have
1: any ways that you kind of it's uh, a question. go
0: about letting things go
1: so my career path was or has been chartered accountant eh hey? yeah what <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, with one of those big consulting firms uh it was with Arthur Anderson actually, who um, were the biggest accounting firm in the world until Enron happened, and uh, they were their auditors, and they went down with the ship. Uh, but I'd seen the light years before and left a chartered accounting. Then I moved. Then I went travelling for about eighteen months and did all sorts of different things: uh, commercial salmon fishing, and worked in the ski resort and stuff. Then I worked in recruitment and, in London, and then moved to New Zealand in the nineties and. Managed a recruitment business, set up and managed a recruitment business for a London organisation, and then burned out in that and then moved into the work I do now, which was about 20 years ago, I moved into this stuff. So the question was, when you've invested in a particular mm. career, how do you let well, go of that? not necessarily
0: career, just anything, anything that you put in. Put yeah, in, yeah.
1: Into. I think the, the, the key to that is to go – it's a sunk cost, meaning that okay, I've invested thousands of dollars in becoming a chartered accountant, or five years in this. Um, it's, it's to say, okay, is this is this serving me anymore, right? And acknowledge that it served you needs in the past and the person you were back then. So, for me as a chartered accountant, the question was, yeah, I'm really interested in business. Becoming a chartered accountant will help me look explore my options in that. And it did really serve me well, but then as I moved through it, there was this sense of, hmm, this has kind of given me some of what I wanted, but the stuff that it's not lighting my fire, and so I'm happy to let go of the stuff that doesn't light my fire, which was actually the numbers stuff and all the technical stuff about being an accountant and an auditor. But then dialing up the stuff that I did love, which was actually recruiting new graduates, marketing the services of the firm, um, talking to the clients about their business and how it worked and how they got good people and all this, all the people stuff, right? Training graduates. Mm -hmm. And so it was sort of, to me, it was that not seeing as black and white as I've invested so much in becoming a chartered accountant, but actually... What do I like about this, and what can I? How can I dial up that more? And that's what led me into recruitment. Actually, I think sometimes we we get so heavily invested in the title or the the profession. So, for example, I got I held on to my chartered accounting. Um, I pay, kept paying my fees. You have to pay a fee every year to mm. say you're a chartered accountant. Uh, because I thought it will keep opening doors and it will keep me, um, you know, I'll have credibility because I can say I'm a chartered accountant, even though I wasn't doing chartered accounting. This is years after. And then one day I thought, actually, I can just say I'm a former chartered accountant <laughs> and I'll still have all that credibility. Yeah. And so I stopped paying my fees and I never looked back. i I know plenty of people who are dentists and doctors who hate it. And I think they're the ones who... Are still telling the story of what it, they wanted to do for them back then without mm. acknowledging how well it's serving them now. Mm. And I think it's something about being able to go, what's the good stuff? What and how do I segue from what I'm doing now into something that helps me do more of the good stuff that I'm doing now? Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, fully. no, I think, I think it
0: does. But I think, I, I think there's another kind of aspect to that as well is when you let something go. You're, you're letting go of, of doing that, but you're not letting go of all the skills no. that you have developed That's right. from that. So, I mean, that, that kind of 5, 10, 20-year block has still served you well in that it's allowed you to develop yourself and develop your, your skill set that you can then take and do yeah. something else. Because, I mean, there's, using the example of doctors and dentists, yeah, I mean, you're... You've got kind of a, a medical speciality in that area, but you've also got a whole lot of other skill sets that are uh, you can take in and do other things with. But also, you've probably got a different lens to look through with things, so you can explore your diverse of curiosity there and create. You've locked other onto stuff that, that, eh? That, yeah, <laughs> the, the people that other people would not have seen because they don't have that background that you've had. So, I
1: I think it comes down to confidence Mm. that there is, you have skills that are beyond your technical. And I reckon that's a really good shift to make is to go, what are the skills that just aren't the technical skills of my trade? And to go, what are the, you know, the, as you said, the transferables? What are the things Mm. that can apply in other situations? And often people don't see that. It's like, and, and I'm surprised that they don't see it. And that's where I think, you know, to be able to have, um, a network of people who do di- really different things to you but then you might be able to see how you can what they're doing you could go actually I could do a bit of that too you know mm. That's for me when I moved into recruitment was I started recruiting accountants in London and I thought, well what I have got is the ability to talk accounting language right? Which is a unique language, by the way. Yeah, and and,
0: and I don't doubt that.
1: <laughs> but I could, I could, I could talk that to them, and that gave me some credibility and also some confidence mm. that I could do this—not just accounting work. I could talk to accountants about their work, and and uh, that was that was a real confidence boost. Yeah. So yeah, that's. Um, yeah, we're ranging everywhere, aren't we? Well, yeah, really we well, are. Yeah.
0: And there's like there's one other thing that I wanted to touch on as well is that I mean with the, with that curiosity and, and looking at a range of different options, there's also the thing of not actioning a whole lot of options. Mm-hmm. That when you start to kind of go and delve into something a little bit deeper, I mean, how do you how do you think about that kind of choosing one option and then kind of letting go or putting to one side a whole
1: lot of other options... That's really hard for me.
0: (laughs) also be potentially interesting.
1: Yeah, uh, I think partly it's personality, right? So Mm. in Myers-Briggs' term, I'm an ENFP. I think in the Hogan's profile, I'd probably score really high on openness, um, which is like open to all sorts of stuff. So for me, it's really hard, but I've learned more and more to the value of cutting off options uh, and it's, it's, it's about I it's a bit like that example of deciding not to do the leadership program it's about actually just listening to myself and also honouring the other because I think by just playing along and going say well yeah I'll do this this and this and this it's not serving me it's not serving anyone else really I think the other thing is that it's not forever. I think um, that by choosing one path doesn't mean necessarily that you can't jump on another path at some other point. And a good example of that is when I I've lived in New Zealand twice and. The first time I lived here was for a couple of years and I left New Zealand after that time, not really wanting to come back. I had a really bad burnout with my work and it was I kind of left with a bitter taste in my mouth. And I met my wife here at that time. We got married and then I said, well, nah, let's go to Perth. And we decided to go and live back in Perth. And originally it was just for two years. And after two years, I was going, nah, can we stay a bit longer? And we ended up staying for nine years. And the primary reason was my wife was quite keen to come back to New Zealand yeah. and I just didn't want to come back. And I had this story in my head about coming back to New Zealand was like purgatory, like coming back, ends of the earth, and there's no, no escape, right? And there's all this rubbish going yeah. on my head. Bit of coffee though. Oh, definitely a bit of coffee. <laughs> it's cheaper too. Yeah, and, yeah. But there's, there was something I, – I ended up seeing, talking to someone who said, look, this is, you're really limiting yourself here um and why don't you see your sh- going to New Zealand as a chapter you write in your life and you determine how long it is mm. or you and and your wife determine how long that chapter's going to be and uh you write it right so and then you can write another chapter and then another one and another one that changed everything for me that this whole idea of having to say yes to one thing meant never again doing the other things which like Possibly that's true, but by me being seeing myself as the author rather than just the reader of whatever's gonna happen was a big powerful shift for me to go, actually yeah, I'm the agent here. I can I can make what I want. And so I've been here ten years now and I've carried that attitude since the plane touchdown. And it was it's been it's made life great. And it, it means that actually I think it's the reason I'm still here is because I've gone look, I'm writing this chapter. Uh, and I've said no to Western Australia as a place to live for now, but it doesn't mean we won't go back. And mm. I feel in a really productive place about that. Yeah. So I think that mindset of um, it's not forever when you say no, it actually lets you say no to something. And the me, to me, it was the no to WA, which was really, really hard because I love it over there. This, yeah, that, yeah, makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I
0: really like that concept actually in terms of the – the writing the chapter and it's a, yeah. it, it's a chapter and there's going to be another chapter yes afterwards well hopefully you never know what's going to happen but but there's, it's, there's the potential for another chapter afterwards. and you never
1: know because you could get hit by a train or something mm-hmm. but you might as well decide to be the author yeah and and that's the key thing rather than be the the reader as I called it or maybe you mm. could say it's the player versus the victim right it's yeah, the same yeah. same thing and. I think that that shift is a bit like the doctor saying, "Take off the sling." I'd kind of been in the victim reader, victim or reader sort of mm. mold, and then he goes, "Take off the sling," and suddenly, so like, oh yeah, I've been in this kind of. I've just been waiting to be told what to do, and in fact, I'm going to choose now more about how I play with this arm and how I do things, and it makes all the difference, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I think that's a really nice kind of circular place to finish up there. Um, I asked you these questions last time, but I want to ask them again because I'm sure that different things have happened. But what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and how did you get through it?
1: Uh, I reckon it was that phone call to the client a couple of days ago. Uh, And how did I get through it was actually just doing it without thinking too much. Mm -hmm. It was listening to what was right for me. And then acting straight away, not not kind of waiting and think, overthinking it. Just do it.
0: Yeah, yeah, cool. What's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for
1: you? Ooh, okay. There's plenty I could think of. I've A call went out. I'm a mentor on a program in Australia uh, and the call's gone out to run some workshops and things for a group of maybe 100 people uh, in the program. And I reckon it's my turn to step up to the plate and run something. Why is it uncomfortable? Because it'll be the first time I've done it, so it's like not knowing what will happen. And is my stuff good enough to share? Uh, And all that sort of doubt that goes on Mm. in my mind, Um, being judged by my peers and will they like it and all this sort of stuff. And I'm going to do it. In fact, after this, I'm going to message them and say, look, here's what I want to do, so... Again, it's not overthinking it too much, I think, will be the thing that will help. And then I'm then I'm committed. Okay.
0: Mm. Mm, cool, cool. I'm uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing how that one goes. <laughs> Good. Digby, do you have any new strategies that you use for approaching uncomfortable situations that we haven't talked about today?
1: I think one new one is, I don't know if it's brand new, but it, it's lighten up. Mm-hmm. there's a saying which goes something like this, which was hold it firmly with an open palm or something mm-hmm. like that. And it sounds paradoxical, right? It's, it's the idea of, you know, don't take it too seriously and that have fun with it and don't overthink it, which is kind of what I've been saying, but it's sort of encapsulated in lighten up. Like, you know, you, you're not here for that long, so you might as well have fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I reckon that's the, the one that I'm, trying to live a bit more too. Like, yeah, don't don't overthink it just have fun with it. It's a great saying in a book called The Art of Possibility which is when you when you confront it with something that's not kind of going how you want or the person's not behaving how you want, uh, just go, how fascinating. And I think mm. that rather than judgment, right? I think that is a is a recipe to go straight into lighten up. How fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I think
0: we could all do with a bit more fascination um, <laughs> yeah. they, if, if people uh, want to find out a bit more about you want to connect with you uh, get involved with some of the stuff that, they d- that you're doing how can they do that
1: okay so uh, my website is digbyscott.com and you can find all those videos we were talking about before on there uh, twitter is digbyscott that's all it is and you can find me on linkedin as well they're the main ones so Very yeah, come, cool. come and talk to me
0: yeah yeah it's always a great conversation um, I want to say thanks, mate, for uh, taking the time to uh, have me out, sit down and have a bit of a chat again. And uh, as always, it's it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I also want to, to thank you as well for kind of going out there and inspiring people to be a bit more curious about life and, cool. uh, and to, yeah, just kind of explore what's what's possible and, and find, find the edge. Yeah, nice, mate. Yeah. Thank um, you. One question before we finish off. Do
1: you have a challenge to leave us with this week? Oh, okay. What story are you telling yourself that's holding you back? What story are you telling yourself that's holding you back? I asked that to a few people this week, and you could see them kind of... Their whole spine went wobbly for a while. Mm. And I think it's... So the challenge there is in the question, right? And everyone will have a different answer to that. So one of my stories was the story about needing to be a sling and waiting for the doctor to tell me when it was okay to be out of the sling, right? That was a story I told myself. I reckon I was holding myself back. Mm. So what story are you telling yourself that's holding you back? Yeah,
0: it's a nice confronting challenge, I think, to, to leave us with. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me
1: today. Thanks for asking me, Chris.